What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? Hero Bread serves up 0 to 1 grams of net carbs, 5 to 11 grams of protein, and high fiber in every delicious serving. Made with natural ingredients, Hero Bread supports gut health, promotes weight management, and helps maintain blood sugar. Hero also drops other limited edition ultra-low net carb goodies like rich, flaky croissants and buttery brioche slider rolls. Head to Hero.co to shop today. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. Welcome to In Search Of. We're your hosts, Ashton and Sam. We're two accountants who binge podcasts by day and TV by night. Keep listening to find what you've been in search of. Hi, Sam. Hey, Ashton. How's it going? I think I've had a better day than you. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, we are recording this again because we had a little technical difficulties with our original recording, so we're learning, but that's okay. I did get a new mic, so we'll see. This is a new test round with a new mic, so we're getting more professional day by day. Exciting stuff. So this is our this is our test. We'll see. We'll see if the mic is a I told Jake I was like, hey, I bought this mic. I got it like $30 off of Amazon. And he's like, oh my God. Cause he's in the music world and he his mics are he would never buy a $30 mic. I'm like, see, like that's gonna be a piece of crap. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I'm like, no, it's gonna be fine. It had like thirty thousand reviews. He's like, okay. So we're gonna prove him wrong with this thirty dollar mic. Um, it got. I literally ordered it this morning, and it got here today. Yeah, so, that was fast. So talk about some customer service. Okay. Anyways, we are talking about two um, cases: Derek Todd Lee, and you don't really have a person; you just have a Chicago a hypothesis. And of a Chicago yes serial killer. killer yeah so we got two serial killers one we know two or the other we don't uh so I'll go first my story is I was texting Sam the other night about this story how it was just creeping me out it just it gave me the heebie-jeebies and I think it freaked me out because This serial killer was in Baton Rouge. He was called the Baton Rouge serial killer. And it just, there's so many places that women got abducted from that I 
went to countless times when I was at LSU in Baton Rouge. So I think it hit home for me, but it is, um, the case is called the Baton Rouge serial killer. Um, he was Derek Todd Lee. He murdered seven women that we know of. Um, and we know this because they connected it with DNA evidence, but they believe there are more victims. Um, he killed between 1992 and 2003 so there were 11 years that he was just traumatizing the city of baton rouge which is so scary um my friend actually told me about this case and she told me that she remembers her parents having like the talk with her about this serial killer being on the loose and just um you know to and be she careful was young right yeah yeah i mean she's She's our age, so you know, I'm I'm sure like it was like twenty probably, years ago. So she was yeah. in like elementary school. Yeah, so um I which in elementary school I can't even imagine wrapping my head around something like that. So, I know. I know. Yeah. Um so he had a long track record. His first arrest was at the age of thirteen. He was arrested for burglarizing and vandalizing a store. Then he got arrested for assaulting a woman. In 1984, he was arrested on suspicion of murdering someone, but was later released. He set a car, or he set his car on fire to try and collect insurance money, but this failed. He was arrested for attempting to rob someone. He was arrested for stalking and being a peeping Tom. So he, um, yeah, just lots of crime, all starting from when he was 13 years old, which is sad. He grew up in South Louisiana in St. Francisville. Um, one thing I do want to note, which I don't want to focus on too much, but I feel like we talked about this. We like to sometimes have that connection to understand why and how somebody can do these horrible things. So it was mentioned that he was physically abused by his father and he was um, mentally challenged. And so he was bullied and I think, you know, obviously struggled growing up, but again, uh, no excuse to murder countless women. So I don't want to focus too much on him. Um, I want to talk about some of his victims. So the, um, these, I'm going to list the victims like in order, I guess, of kind of how they were, uh, found out or, or discovered, I guess. Um, so Gina Wilson Green was 41. She was murdered in 2000, September 2001. She was a nurse and an office manager. She was found dead in her Baton Rouge home. So he would, uh, one of his methods was he would sneak in. Um, and I always forget what this is called. Uh, when they don't like break a window to break in, like they know, like there wasn't forced entry. That's I think mm -hmm. what I'm trying to say. So he always was able to, like, get into the house without, you know, breaking down a door or a window, whatever, so he could sneak in. She, um, so her home was near LSU. There was items stolen from her home, which was, like, another thing he did, um, maybe, like, a trophy type thing when he would steal items. So her purse and phone were stolen. And, like, a lot of items they would never be able to find. Like, I think several times, like, he would steal a phone, and then they were never able to find that phone. Um, she died from being strangled. He also raped. 
many of his victims. Um, but I don't want to mention that every single time because that's just a horrible thing. So the next um, victim was Charlotte Murray Pace. She was 22. She was murdered eight months later in May of 2002. She was an LSU graduate. Her roommate found her in their townhome. She had been stabbed to death and had put up a fight before dying. Um, she had been stabbed 83 times, which is horrific. She uh, had only lived in this townhome for two days before being murdered, and her previous home um, was located just three doors down from Gina, which um, there was no connection, but it is kind of a coincidence, I think. Mm -hmm. it just, I think it just kind of proves that he stayed in an area and followed mm -hmm. people. So, uh, again, items were stolen, wallet, keys, phone, ring, and at this um, attack, a footprint was left. So they were able to at least identify um, a shoe size, a type of shoe, that kind of thing. So the next victim was Pam Kinnamore. She died in July of 2002. She um, was murdered in her home in Denham Springs, which is east of Baton Rouge. She owned her own business. She was a decorator and antique dealer. Uh, her husband returned from work um, to their house, and her car was there, but she was not. Police did not suspect foul play at first, but five days later, she was found in Whiskey Bay, which is a uh, swamp area, swampy area. There's a long bridge that uh, takes you from baton rouge to lafayette and then just keep going north then that's that's where i would go um that's the route i would take when i drove home so i'm very familiar with that area and actually i think like i heard people like women being found in whiskey bay like when i was in college but and maybe it was this you know i just didn't know yeah. it at the time yeah yeah so um she died by slashes in her neck there was no signs of forced entry at her home so again he's getting in without them knowing he took a toe ring uh, and they assumed this was a trophy. Kinnamore's death was linked to green and pace forcing police to realize they had a serial killer. The next victim was Trinisha Colomb. She died or she disappeared in November of 2003. She was in the army and her car was found with the keys in the ignition. So she was just like, she was gone, but her car was just left. So clearly something was not right. Um, three days later, she was found in St. Landry Parish, which is Lafayette. She was bludgeoned to death. DNA linked her to Green, Pace, and Kennemore. And she was the first African-American victim and uh, outside the Baton Rouge area. So Lafayette's like maybe 40, 50 minutes from um, Lafayette. So a little further out. And there was another shoe print left at the crime scene. Um, Carrie Yoder was 26. She died in March of 2003. She was a doctoral, doctoral student at LSU. She lived only a few miles from Green and Pace. Her boyfriend last heard from her on March 3rd. She told him she was going to the Winn-Dixie at Burbank Drive, which uh, gives me creeps because I went to this Winn-Dixie like, countless times to get groceries uh she would call him the next day or she said she would call him the next day but he never did or she never did two days later he went to her house the back door was open and like a key holder had been knocked off the wall making him think like there was somewhat of a struggle 
police didn't suspect foul play but like there's a serial Why killer at large you? i don't yeah yeah i know so police took items as evidence to um find fingerprints march 13th she was found near Ken- where she was found where um Kittimore was found she was found near where my notes are wrong but it's like throwing me off but anyways she was found in whiskey bay which was near where Kittimore was found she died um from strangulation Police th- didn't think she was tied to the Baton Rouge serial killer. DNA later confirmed she was the fifth victim. So the next victim is Gerilyn DeSoto. She was 21. She was an LSU graduate student murdered in her home in Addis, Louisiana, which is south of Baton Rouge. In January of 2002, she was the sixth victim connected to Derek Lee, but she was actually murdered after green and before pace but it just took them longer to get uh the dna evidence to connect she was beaten stabbed and throat slash like pace her phone was also stolen after derek was arrested he was connected to the murder of randy murbriar she was 28 she was murdered in 1998 so she was before uh green so maybe one of the first ones she was taken in her home um, in Zachary, Zachary, Louisiana, which is north of Baton Rouge. There was blood at the scene, but her body has never been found. Her ex-husband was the prime suspect until February 2004 when they connected DNA evidence to Derek Lee. Potential victims, um, there's several, but they don't have DNA evidence, so they've never been able to confirm these. But Connie Lynn Warner, she was 41. She um, was killed in August 1992. She was bludgeoned with a hammer. They could never uh, connect any DNA evidence, so her murder is still cold. Lillian Robertson was 52. She disappeared in January 2002 from St. Martinville. I mean, sorry, St. Martin in Louisiana. Uh, In February 2002, she was found near Whiskey Bay Bridge, where Kinnamore and Yoder were later found, but it was hard to get DNA evidence since she had been in the water for a week. She was killed in a similar manner. Also, I don't want to, like, make this a point, but I think one of the reasons why she maybe didn't have people looking for her as quickly was I think she was a prostitute, so that can aid in the, you know, delayed response unfortunately. Um, Melinda McGee was 31. She died, or she was, she went missing in March of 2003. She was abducted in Atmore, Alabama, which is 250 miles from Baton Rouge. Evidence found at her home suggested she was abducted by the same man, um, similar to Kenamore and Yoder. No DNA samples could be pulled, and she's never been found. And then lastly, Christina Moore was 23, she died in May of 2002. She was an LSU student. She had gone jogging and never returned. Her car was abandoned near River Road. Her body was found a month later on a dirt road in Iberville Parish. She died from blunt force traumas to the head. Never officially tied to the Baton Rouge serial killer, although there were many similarities. There was one survivor, Diana, or Diane Alexander, Lee had snuck into her home, beat her, and tried to rape her when her son walked in. This caught Lee off guard, and he ran. Diane's son 
Chase Lee and was able to provide a description of the car and what he looked like. So a couple of methods of Derek um, and how he killed, I guess, which we've kind of mentioned throughout this, but he would steal items like cell phones. There were no visible sign of forced entry, several bodies found in Whiskey Bay, like he stuck to the same area for the most part. He would rape, stab, or use blunt force. So those were some of the things that they could use to see, one, that there was a serial killer, and two, identify the next victim to the previous ones. Um, killer was thought to be a white male at first. Eyewitness account led police to believe the killer was a white male who drove a white truck, and this was in connection with Kinnamore. They had collected DNA from over 600 white males in Baton Rouge surround in in Baton Rouge and surrounding areas, and there was no lead. So, this is just frustrating because it, you know, delayed catching him even sooner. There was also an inaccurate FBI offender profile that was released to the public. With no leads, the police hired a company to re-examine the DNA. They found the ancestry profile indicated the suspect was 85% African. This changed the course of the investigation. So with this DNA evidence and Alexander's description, they were able to identify Lee as the serial killer. At the time he was identified, he was located in Baton Rouge and brought back to Baton Rouge. Or, I'm sorry, he was located in Atlanta, Georgia and brought back to Baton Rouge. He was charged with seven counts of murder. He was found guilty for DeSoto and Pace's murder after receiving the de death penalty for Pace's murder, the victim's um, families decided to discontinue the prosecution. Uh, this was because they were exhausted and just traumatized from the whole process. In December of 2004, Lee was put on death row. He died while in prison in January 2016 while awaiting execution. He was at um, Louisiana State Penitentiary at Angola. The police and task force task force were highly criticized obviously it just they made a lot of mistakes and a lot of people died because of this um baton rouge residents were shocked that lee was never suspected because of his criminal history i mean he he had a record of assaulting women i think he assaulted his wife he was a peeping tom he would stalk women he i you know he was even suspected of killing someone at one point and then released so there just there was a lot of things, and I think even um, police from Zachary, Louisiana, had come to Baton Rouge Police because they thought he was connected to a murder there, and they just oh it was Randy Randy Murbriar. Um, they originally like brought that to their attention, and they just overlooked it. So yeah, they just made a lot of mistakes, um, which unfortunately you know could have caused a lot of people their lives so my sources were wikipedia criminal minds fandom and a serial serial killer documentaries on youtube titled derek in quotes peeping tom lee so yeah we were talking about how freaky that is it's like i don't know i guess i think um you know some of the situations that you can that people get murdered or abducted or whatever in but one mm -hmm. of like 
the creepiest ones to me is like when they break into your house because yeah. you're like sitting at home think yeah you're safe you're, you th- and you're safe yeah yeah you feel like i don't know you're comfortable yeah. Mm-hmm. So. Well, and that's when your guard is probably let down too. Mm-hmm. When you're mm-hmm. at home, um, so yeah. yeah, it was. It's very, very sad, and definitely hits close to home. You know, for me being, there's just so many familiar places, um, and that's yeah. in that case. And now a word from our sponsors. So my case, which we've already mentioned, is not a confirmed serial killer, but there's a theory. So I pulled this story mostly from the Jensen and Holes, the Murder Squad podcast, and they did an episode called, Is There an Active Serial Killer in Chicago? And um, that is part of the Exactly Right Network, which is like My Favorite Murder, Karen and Georgia. I think they're friends with Paul Holes and Billy Jensen. And Paul, what or is a retired cold case investigator, and Billy Jensen is an investigative journalist. Um, So in this episode, they interview Thomas Hargrove, who is a journalist, and he runs and founded the Murder Accountability Project, which is a nonprofit. And what I think is interesting that he has done is he created an algorithm that analyzes crime data and sorts and groups murders by their shared characteristics and what they have in common. And he did this after the Green River killer Gary Ridgway was arrested in 2001 because he realized that he, the Gary, had a lot of the same, like, patterns and mo's um kind of like what you were saying like if they had had some more information and were able to put all the pieces together of the murders that were happening in the same place or whatever um he realized he could have been stopped sooner so um thomas hargrove pulled this data together about these murders in chicago and he believes that it's the act of a serial killer or serial killers. So there have been over 50 unsolved murders of women in Chicago in the last 20 years. The first one uh, was in January of 2001. Angela Ford was found in an abandoned building's basement in Chicago, and she had been strangled. And by the end of the year, five more women were found dead by strangulation in the city. Thomas says that these cases are different from the normal patterns of murders, especially in Chicago. Um, The majority of women were sex workers or drug users, which, like you were saying, when that is the case, like, unfortunately, their deaths aren't investigated and really looked into because they think it's like part of the way that they live um and they're they're like like being judged for their lifestyle mm -hmm. so they yeah yeah and they're like a high-risk population and also I mean Chicago just has so much crime and it's hard for the police to really dig into an individual case because by the time they arrive at like one scene and are processing it, they have another one they have to go to. So, um, 
it's just unfortunate. Um, the these victims were also found outside or in abandoned buildings, um, and the fact that they were like unsolved strangulations didn't make a whole lot of sense because strangulations are first of all like not that common cause of death anymore but um when it is a strangulation it's usually a crime of passion and a crime of passion is inflicted upon what they call like an intimate so like a spouse or boyfriend or girlfriend or someone you know who actually has that like passion um to do that to you and so I was thinking about was that I wonder if the who oh well the guy the person doing this or the one doing the strangulation like Mm -hmm. if they have something against like women I mean clearly Mm -hmm. they have something against women but like maybe they were abused by their mom or like yeah have something they have some personal issue yeah yeah with the type of victim yeah and maybe that's another connection because mm-hmm. because strangulation is such an act of passion mm-hmm. that you know they might not know each other but he might be relating this woman to yeah you know his mom someone in I, his I don't know life yeah 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 it just it is such like an interesting way um to kill someone like these days you know yeah and so strangulations are usually solved pretty quickly because they zero in on the husband, boyfriend, girlfriend, spouse, whatever. Um, And so it's, there's not, it's not likely that there are 50 unsolved strangulations that are done by someone close to the person. Yeah. So, um, the sixth woman who was killed in 2002, her name is Gwen Williams. She fought against the attacker and she got the strangler's DNA under her nails. And later the match to this DNA was found and he was in Florida at the time. And I think he had been arrested on like an unrelated charge, but he was never extradited back to Chicago and charged with anything. Um, so I don't know. I don't know why they decided that but i mean we know like dna can be on so many things for so many reasons so i don't really know um but one thing that thomas said really points to the act of a serial killer was in 2007 um 24 hours apart Two different women were found in opposite corners of Washington Park. Both were in trash bins, and the trash bins were set on fire. And the police never did, like, a sweep of the park, which Thomas thinks is, like, critical error. Um, like, why wouldn't you? But, again. Like, I feel like policing 101, maybe. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Um But Thomas does think that there could be two or three killers involved because um, the statistics of the victims reflect um, multiple killers because about one-third of the victims were white and two-thirds were 
black and people typically kill their own race. So he thinks that there's probably one white killer and one to two black killers. And the, the murders or the bodies are mostly found in clusters in the West and South sides of Chicago. In the South side, the, there were bodies that were found in like a nearly perfect North South line so if you look at like he has a map with like dots of where the bodies were found and it's like kind of eerie because they line up in almost like a perfect line and I think they were like along a train uh track and so it kind of says that he had like a route and he was like traveling um while he was committing these murders and because of that, he believes that the most active killer had a car and some type of transportation, and he didn't live where he killed. Um, I think he called it like a murder desert or something, like the area where he lives and like doesn't have any victims. In between 2014 and 2017, there was a lull in the murders, and Thomas thinks that that's because the primary killer was in jail or for some other reason out of town. And then between 2017 and 2018, the killings resumed, and he believes that's when he was released from jail. Um, Thomas went to the CPD in 2017 with his theory, but the detectives were not convinced. They said they couldn't prove the coincidences uh, because there was really no like hard evidence linking them all. It was just kind of this pattern that his algorithm had come up with. So it took until 2019 for the serial killer theory to kind of break to the public and, um, the communities where this was happening really kind of rallied around this idea and were really fighting for justice. And there, I mean, there were people who had personal connections, but there were also people who were just trying to represent these like underrepresented um, populations. And I mean, I think just in general, if you, are given the idea that there's multiple serial killers where you live, you're probably trying to put some effort behind trying to find them. So there was a lot of pressure on the Chicago Police Department to review these cases and give them more attention. They did. They looked at them again and they said there is no evidence that they're linked. But again, back to the police not doing a great job um, only half of the victims had DNA collected from them at the time of the murders. So, I mean, they're saying, oh, no, you know, we don't see this. But, I mean, it's hard to trust them when it doesn't seem like they're doing the best job. Yeah, like how can you say that they're not connected when you're not pulling all of the yeah. appropriate evidence? You know, like you don't have real facts to base your – yeah, like maybe there's not evidence that they are connected, but there's not evidence that they aren't. So why don't you yeah. explore that possibility anyway? Um, so I was actually looking for an update on this case because this podcast episode came out in 2018 and Thomas Hargrove's Murder Accountability Project has a website called murderdata.org. And he posted an update 
um, in February of 2020, and it says Chicago police make first arrest among 51 female strangulations. It says Chicago police have arrested Arthur Hillard and charged him with the homicide of Diamond Turner, the first arrest to be made among a large cluster of 51 female strangulations on Chicago's south and west sides. Cluster was identified by, by a computer algorithm developed by the Murder Accountability Project. Um, so Diamond Turner, she was 21. Um, she was also found in a trash bin. Um, she was found in 2017. It said that Hillard, the man arrested, is also under investigation for two other homicides. Um, he had been previously charged and convicted of illegal concealment of the body of a murder victim, Andrea Williams, or Andra, sorry, Williams, who was confined to a wheelchair. Her body had been found with multiple stab wounds in a shopping cart behind Hillard's West Side apartment building. He has a history of six misdemeanor assault or battery charges over a number of years, although none resulted in conviction. Police say they arrested Hillard after an Illinois state crime lab de delivered DNA results that confirmed the blood found in his home belonged to the victim, Turner. Um, so there's there's that. I mean, he could be one of them. I mean, I, I do think it's – I don't think it's one person um, spanning that many years and kind of with the patterns of – where and um i think it was like one person with like the park thing i think of a lot like i don't know i think if it was the same person who was like returning all the time i don't i don't think he would have gotten away with it for 20 years but um yeah so i mean hopefully this leads to the others if there are others um but yeah, my, my sources were that podcast and then that murderdata.org um, and then also chicagoreader.com. It always, I mean, I know hindsight's twenty twenty, but like Derek Todd Lee's like track record and this guy's mm -hmm. track record, it's like sometimes it's like the most obvious person. Yeah, is, is I don't, who it ends up being. And that's, yeah, it's like if they, I don't know, they found DNA in his home so like why didn't why wasn't i don't i mean i don't know how that testing happens but yeah, like why yeah i don't know yeah there's a lot that we probably don't know but it mm -hmm. just you from the outside looking in you're just like you know how and why did y'all get so far off track like how mm -hmm. i don't know it just and yeah. i know your case is more complex because we believe that there's multiple people but yeah. yeah, it's just unfortunate. Um, your your case, you just have so many more, um, like, uh, I'm trying to think of um, variables. You know, mm -hmm. like it's mm -hmm. it's Chicago. There's high crime. It's there's a lot of people. Twenty years. Who, yeah, there's a lot of people who are overlooked, and it's just mm -hmm. it sucks. Um, I was also gonna say when you were talking about the way one of the some of the victims were found how it was didn't you say it was like a horizontal like yeah like down? a north south or a vertical uh, um, line yeah, yeah up and down mm -hmm. um there was one uh person who came forward when they were trying to find 
Derek Todd Lee and somebody like some investigator had found like based off of where he was killing it made like a triangle and so Mm. they were able to like pinpoint where he lived like in a vicinity like find out you know so yeah it's cool how they can take that information and literally find where the guy lived Mm -hmm. so yeah and if you go to um paul holes and billy jensen's podcast website they have um all the victims names they have some pictures because i think that's important but i wasn't going to read 50 names um but oh and we can cut this out but i i wanted to say because i said this yesterday I was looking for <laughs> this episode because I'm like, I don't know if I'll if we'll do another hometown thing, but I was looking for this episode on their like podcast list and um, came across one. It says the Lane Bryant murders. And I remembered that when I was in, I guess I was in like middle school. Um, there's a town called Tinley Park, which is a suburb that was like 15 minutes from where I lived. And there was, like, a shopping center that had, like, a super Target and Lane Bryan and, like, places to eat and whatever. Like, your typical, like, kind of strip mall. And um, my aunt called my mom one day and was like, where are you guys? And we were not near there. But she said – I think she was, like, at the Target or something. And she was like, well, don't come to Tinley because there was just a shooting. And so there was, I, I can't remember how many victims, but a man shot up a women's clothing store, like just 15 minutes from where I was. And he left, I mean, it's, it's still not been solved. Um, this place was like right along a highway. And so he was able to kind of like take off but like that was that was freaky like where how you were saying like I go to these places I passed mm-hmm. by these places I shopped there like you you imagine like if I had been there on the wrong day you know mm-hmm. I could have seen something or been involved in something and it's so strange that they I feel like there's not a lot of times where there's um a mass shooting like that and they don't catch the victim yeah I feel like they there were eyewitnesses like it was not like the store was open so it was not like really early in the morning or really late at night it was like during regular business hours um I was gonna listen to that podcast because I mean I remember like the news story when I lived there but not like don't know the updates or anything like that so yeah that's very interesting it's Mm -hmm. so scary though yeah, because I mean, and then like all the stores, you know, stayed open after it, but the Lane Bryant stayed closed, and you know, lights were off inside, but there were flowers and like crosses and all this stuff did, out out front. Was there people who died or just got harm, harmed? Yes, mm-hmm. people died. Mm-hmm. Wow, that's really sad. Yeah, it's terrifying. Um, yeah, well, that's your case. Like, makes my head hurt. Like, yeah. <laughs> I would not want to. Yeah, it just. It's so hard to wrap your head around and so many mistakes, but so many Mm -hmm. variables and so many Mm -hmm. just, it's unfortunate. So hopefully they can make some progress and find the people who are doing that. Yeah. But yeah, that's all we have. You've been, we've been watching lots of TV. We've, We've been posting about it on our Instagram. So if you're looking for something to watch, we 
share lots of suggestions. We um, should make like I, a highlight of current TV recommendations. Yeah, we have we've been binging lots of TV lately. Um, a couple of wrecks are Severance. We both just finished Severance and omfg is all i have to say to that like oh my god it starts slow and you're like okay is anything gonna happen and oh it happens oh my god it happens (laughs) yes and then we've got some hbo wrecks which we've shared which is season two of flight attendant we're not that into it maybe you're into it we loved the first season not into the second season made for love is really good two seasons out on that Sam Star hasn't watched struck. it yet. Yes, yeah. Star, star, Starstruck is Sam's wreck. Made for Love is my yeah. wreck for like mm-hmm. happier, funnier shows if you don't want to watch our dark TV. What else? Um, what was our other like, wreck for HBO? You like Minx? Minx is a good one. There was something else on, oh, The Way Down. We both watched The Way, the Way Down. Down. Mm-hmm. It was just two episodes though. Um so yeah, there was that. Let's see what else. Oh, you just started the Under the Banner of Heaven, which is really good. It has our guy from Pieces of Her in Yellowstone. I can't remember his name. I don't remember the actor's name either. But it, but also it has, has Daisy Ange- Edgar Jones, who I like from Normal People, and which Andrew Normal People Garfield. is like is also a good one on Hulu. But it's it's very different than this. I need to give that stuff. a try. It's like a mellow tame non ridiculous euphoria (laughs) got it okay good to know it's like a boring euphoria (laughs) it's Um, good we also got andrew garfield which he's a fan you know i feel like everyone loves andrew garfield unless you don't like him sam no i do (laughs) i'm very Um, picky about people apparently (laughs) who was the guy that i messaged you about that it was in manhunt unabomber um sam something sam yeah he i really like him if you've seen manhunt the unabomber he is in that he's a great actor so lots of good tv we'll do a highlight to recommend some tv shows um but yeah so that is all i have is there anything else you have sam no okay well um talk to you later bye bye Hold on, let's do that again. (laughs) Bye, Sam. Bye, Ashton. Thanks for listening to In Search Of. Don't forget to review, subscribe, and follow our podcast to stay up to date on the latest episodes. If you want more information on In Search Of, you can follow us on Instagram and Facebook. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low net-carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. 
And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.